Hello and welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Kelly Ray Roberts is a possibilitarian. She is an artist, an author, businesswoman, and most importantly, a wife and a mother. From a social worker to a licensed artist selling $14 million retail in just under three years. Wow. She believes we get to make the rules, that we get to choose, that we get to craft the exact life that has been waiting for us. Doesn't that sound so delicious? And when we do, we become fully alive. She also believes that we are meant for the complicated journeys of brokenness and wholeness, vulnerability, courage, wisdom, and silliness. Kelly Ray is here to talk about her journey her best and worst mistakes, her tips, and lots of true stories about what it is like to start, grow, and nurture a successful creative business. Kelly, Ray, welcome to my show. Mm, Thanks for having me. What a sweet introduction. You know, it's such an honor. And this morning, I I was, when I was thinking about the show, I was, um, realized that today is the seventh anniversary of my show. And, you know, when (sighs) I started it, yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, and to come full circle with you to be on my show on this day, because when I had this vision, I didn't know I would be able to interview the people that I've had, this amazing opportunity, but also the fact that what, what we're going to talk about today is what I was so, that was so in my insides, as my inner knowing of what I wanted to get information out to people. So I'm so mm. excited to have you. So thank you so much. Thank you. And you know what? This month is my seventh anniversary as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was fall of 2006 when I opened up my first little Etsy shop and sold my first painting and off I went. So yay for us. Seven years. It's a good one. Good anniversary. It's a good one. And it and I love how you talk about we have complicated journeys for brokenness and wholeness because that's really what I try to look for guests who embody that, right? It's not this overnight success story. Or sometimes we make like some of our hard hardships or struggles to make it mean that, oh, this isn't possible for us. Right. And and right. I, so I love your message about no, we we have these complicated journeys. It's not the straight line that we want. Right. And we don't want it to be a straight line either. And um, I can think, you know, in the last seven years, certainly having growing pains along the way um, and having some moments or some months, maybe in a year or two where it was more peaceful than others. Um, But no, I think that when we're doing, when we're putting our work out into the world and the way in which we're doing it, there's going to be... um, there's going to be growing pain on the practical side of, of things. I remember having no idea how to um, set up a printer and get a website. And there's also going to be growing pains for like the hard expansion that happens when you are so vulnerable that you're putting your work out into the world. Um, so, yes, I'm with, with you. With you on that. And and that's a piece that I do want to focus on in a little bit in our interview about being vulnerable when you put out your work. But I want to go back just to give for the for the listeners who don't know who you are. Um, I want to give them insight about your background because this show is the place where inspiration and possibility meet. And so how perfect it is to bring this possibilitarian on my show, right? <laughs> but you were a social worker. You had that practical degree. You had a master's degree in social work, and You were not a trained artist, but here you are having sold $14 million worth of retail uh, products many years later. How Mm -hmm. did this happen? Well, it happened. I'll I'll, I'll tell the story that I actually don't tell. It's a big part of my story, um, and I haven't told this story in a long time, but really when people... People have been asking me this question a lot lately, and when I really think about it, it goes back to, um, I was 29, I was about to be 30, I had my master's degree in social work, I was working 
uh, in a hospital as a, a, a medical social work. Lots of like heavy, intense, death and dying, ICU, family planning, um, really heartbreaking work, but really meaningful work. Um, and a nurse in the ICU unit um, asked me if I would train for a half marathon with her. And I never run, I'd never done anything like that before. I'd always assumed that I was not athletic. But something was calling me to do this, and I didn't really know why, but I sort of followed this impulse to do this training with her. I ended up running the half marathon. It changed my life. And after that, I didn't know this at the time. It's only in hindsight that I can connect the dots. But very, very shortly after running that marathon, I had this sense of, of um, power in my body and in my spirit because I had just done something that I never thought I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, by training for and running that marathon, it took up half a year of my whole life. Um, and then that is really when I started to play around with making art and would go to the scrapbooking store in my neighborhood and just sort of dabble. Um, and one thing led to another, really because I had done this thing I never thought I could do, I just was discovering in myself that what else can I do that I didn't think that I could do? Um, and that's when I um, started diving more into um, practicing painting and buying books and taking a workshop and showing up at a creative retreat alone um afraid it all get out and um just taking one little step after the next and uh yeah so that is the real beginning of my story and then very slowly took these micro steps of opening up the Etsy shop and having my first sale and then buying a printer and selling prints and one thing after the next um and eventually this whole other life unfolded for me You know what I'm doing now. I love how you talked about this running this marathon because so often I believe that we, we, many people have this kind of transactional relationship. If I do X, I should get Y, mm-hmm. right? We, and it's trained in us. We, mm-hmm. we go to coffee shop and we put in our order and we expect that order to be that way. It's very transactional, but a lot of times, and whether it's going off to a retreat or to a conference or, um, you know, learning how to do something, it's like, if I do this, then therefore this needs to happen. It's very outcome driven. And here, yeah. what, what you did was you, you, you did something that created new neural pathways inside mm-hmm. your brain, created evidence mm-hmm. for you that you did because you accomplished mm-hmm. it. And then you were able to transfer that skill over to something else. Mm-hmm. I love that you say that because I often will say to people, it's not, and, and also to, I remind myself of this all the time, which is all those little steps you take toward whatever it is that's calling you, whether that is, um, you know, training for a half marathon or reading a parenting book because there's this little whisper inside of you that says that maybe you could use a little more support with your three-year-old or maybe it's sitting down with a friend and having an open conversation and apologizing for something. Whatever it is that's calling you and nudging at you and pestering you to pay attention to, the second that you take action toward those things, something happens that is sort of exactly what you said. You're opening up another path in your brain. Providence, you know, there's that famous quote about Providence moving with you and doors opening where they wouldn't have opened. It's all the metaphysical stuff that happens when you take the actual small steps toward something in your life that speaking to you. Um, and I understand now that's what happened in my in my own life. I have this strange, confusing, didn't make sense, calling to do this to do this running program um but everything that happened energetically um afterward it just opened up my whole life to and then eventually led to me finding myself in a creative life which obviously has nothing to do with running Mm -hmm. um and has everything to do with um doing the thing I didn't think I could do big deal. It's really big for people. Um, it's been huge for, for me in my life. 
Yeah, I, I think that's so important. And thank you for sharing that piece because so often somebody would say, look, I'm too busy. I don't have time to go do a running program. I want, I need to figure out what I want to do in my life. How, how would doing a running program help me cultivate mm -hmm. that? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and they may eliminate that. And sometimes you need, I find that I need space from whatever I'm trying to push through just to mm -hmm. let my brain and my overachieverness you know, relax in my need for yeah. certainty, right? Because I'm this, I have this big queen of certainty, which get, helps me get in my way. But yeah. when I can just go and focus on something else, and I can notice that that's where I call the windows of possibility come out. Mm -hmm. It's really true. I had this experience just in the last couple of weeks where um, really this year, and Cora, you know this because we took a writing class recently together and I shared a little bit of this. But just recently in my life and career, I've had some angst around what am I supposed to do next? And it's been seven years, and um, it's been really hard to really listen to what's calling me because exactly what you were just saying, I'm so busy doing, 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 and managing my business as it stands now that there hasn't been very much breath mm -hmm. around allowing myself to be in a space where those windows of possibility are even in view. Mm -hmm. um, so I did have the experience in the last couple of weeks of just letting it go, getting with some girlfriends, sitting on a plane for about seven hours, and then have this moment of clarity download, <laughs> sort of visually like coming into my body of, all right, now I know what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been wrestling with that for a year at least. Um, and, it, and, it, and it didn't come until what you're talking about, like allowing the space around all the things in our lives that we're supposed to be doing. And that sounds like, you know, when I was talking about that transactional relationship, right? It's like we go, oh, mm -hmm. I have this problem. I should be able to solve it, right? Especially now that I'm successful. I'm Kelly Ray Roberts, yeah. who's a successful creative entrepreneur. <laughs> I should be able to figure this out because I have so much more knowledge than the Kelly Ray 10 years ago. Yeah, and I have so much evidence that mm -hmm. this process works of sort of uh, answering the call, <laughs> you know? Um, but if you're too wrapped up and busy in this, the, the, the to-do list and the goal orientation and the task mastering, um, there's, no, there's no time to breathe in new ideas and new life and new direction and to really even listen to what is even nudging on your sleeve. So I love that. I that. That's been a big lesson for me. And I know for many people, because I'm, I'm a doer. Mm -hmm. I really thrive doing, producing, task mastering. Um, I love that stuff. It's very, very hard for me to be really still and quiet uh, and listen in and tune in sometimes. Yeah. Is that because you measured success based on your productivity? Um. Well, here's the thing. Back in the day, and you, you probably, I'm sure you can relate, seven years ago, in order to create this new life and this vision that I had for myself, it required major hustling. Mm -hmm. um, and I was working, I was still had my social work job, and then I would come home at night and work on this art job. And because there was so much passion uh, and commitment to it, it didn't feel like work. But over time, when the passion uh, started to, you know, like any big love affair, <laughs> it's, it's the same thing. Like your passion starts to wear off and it becomes, you have to start working at it a little bit more. And I was stretching this hustling mode for a couple of years that I had this new sense of normal of what work felt and looked like. And, and so at that time, I would say, the more hours I put in, I was equating, okay, the more I can produce, the more art I can produce, the more images I can add to my portfolio equals um, success at making it as an artist. Mm -hmm. So there was that mentality for a little while. And then once that, that, that actually wasn't true anymore, I had struggle letting go of working so much and so hard and hustling and kind of 
backing off a little bit um, and creating a new normal for what workload meant, you know, my days and life and such. Does that make sense? Yeah. So why did you have trouble letting go of that that need for oh, production? Oh, I think by then, by then it was just in, it was really, it was just by habit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, as I stayed out of my social work job and art was full time and I could dedicate more hours to it, it just sort of took over my life there for a couple of years. Um, and and I wasn't getting any of that breathing room um, that is so crucial of downtime for new ideas to, to come in. And that was, a, that was another big lesson. I feel like the last seven years of coming into entrepreneurship, into business, has been this giant playground in which to practice mm-hmm. um, all of these life lessons that come um, that come forward. And that was a big life lesson for me was to, to, you know, slow down, take it down a notch and not overproduce and overdo it and overextend and work too much and too hard. I was, I kept that, that those, those first two years of my business, I've never worked harder and it took a while for me to sort of detox. But, you know, after a couple of years of that, detoxing from, that's not sustainable, number one. And it's also not necessary. Well, well, wasn't part of your drive, not only it was passion fueled and then you left your, your, you know, regular paycheck job. Right. But there was also just practical of you needed to support you and your husband. Right. That was the reality. You didn't have a sugar daddy. He was in grad school, correct? Yeah, he was in, um, he was in grad school for the first two years of my, of my trying to transition. Yeah, so there was that, absolutely, there was that practical piece of, and thank goodness that I was, I often think of that time in my life as I had this really hot and heavy boyfriend, and his name was Art, (laughs) and we fell in love, and you know when you're in love, and you just like, you, you live on it, you eat it, you breathe it, you sleep it, you're, you know, you can, you can live on love. And that's how those first couple of years were for me. I was in, I was just hot and heavy of love and love and love and had all this energy and momentum and passion. And I would work all day and all night and I'd go to my other social work job and I was high on life. Um, but as in any hot and heavy relationship, like the pie cools down a little bit. And after a while, you have to, you know, maintain and sustain it a little bit more. So that's how I sort of think of it. Well, and, and I, I love that. That's a great metaphor because I think a lot of people can really relate to that. And I agree with you. I think being an entrepreneur is one of the per- best personal development playgrounds to be a part of because mm-hmm. your stuff comes up. It's not hidden anymore. You can hide it yes. when, when, when you're maybe working for somebody else and there's other things you'll yes. learn. But when it's about you and like the vulnerability piece that you talked about putting your stuff out there or how am I going to be able to make a living or can I make this a sustainable business for the long term? Mm-hmm. Right. This is great yeah. that it's so successful now, but do you ever get concerned of what will be in 10 years or 20 years? Do I get concerned about it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I get, I used to, I used mm-hmm. to worry about that. Um, but I, I don't really worry about it anymore. I'm, I feel really confident in, uh, in my knowing that um, it will evolve. I will evolve. And as long as I'm tuning in and listening as we go along, I think I'm pretty, I think it'll be okay. But I do think that one of the big things I've learned in the last seven years is um, not to do something just for the sake of doing it. Um, I'm curious if you've had this lesson as well of recalibrating as you go along. so I can, when my son was born three years ago, I definitely did some recalibrating and just was trying to really stand firm in my value of um, of being present in my family, recognizing that there was no way I was going to be able to work as much as I was working and sort of taking on like a more simple approach 
not just in my business, but also to life in general and, and making making sure that I was home as much as I could be. Um, but now, three years later, I am recalibrating again to sort of rev it up again um, and just being comfortable with the seasons, just like in life and business, the seasons will there will be seasons when you are really struggling and wrestling, and then there are seasons when the faucet is on and you're in the flow. Seasons of ideas, seasons of no ideas. And so I think I've gotten more accustomed to the ebb and flow of that and know that that there's always going to be ebb and flow, and that feels more sustainable to me now more than ever. Well, and I want to point out to the listeners, you said something I think that's really critical is that you said you have confidence in yourself that you will tune in, listen, and evolve. And I think that those are keys to this new world of work that we have now, right? Whereas before yeah. past generations, they sh- once they got that job, and I used to have one of those jobs as a tenured professor, but once you had that job, you had that job and, you know, you, you could kind of just carry on. But I, mm-hmm. I do believe, and you can correct me where I'm wrong, Kelly Ray, is that we mm-hmm. do need to tune in, listen, and importantly, evolve. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, the evolution comes from nothing is permanent. Mm-hmm. Nothing is permanent. And especially as a creative person, I want to be um, evolving. I want to be in that space of being inventive and innovative and I don't want to be doing the same thing, Kenny. I have no idea what I'm going to be doing in three years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm pretty certain that what we were talking about before, I'll take a move and other things will sh- energetically shift as well. I'll take another move. More shifting will happen. I'll take another move. Just as long as I'm up against the edge of whatever it is that's called, as long as I'm moving forward in that direction of what's calling me, that's how I can say that's my that's my compass. Um, I'll just keep going in that direction, even if it feels really uncomfortable and really different from what I'm doing right now, um, because it all integrates. Everything that we've ever done integrates and informs what we're what we're going to be doing later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree with that because um, there there is no waste. I mean, it's when I first started this journey seven years ago on the radio, I didn't know what I was doing. Why? And, <laughs> and I felt like, you know, I had the huge imposter syndrome because who was I? I didn't even like talk radio, but I, ha- I had this <laughs> innate curiosity and I love to connect with people. And, mm-hmm. and that's where, and, and I thought I was really messing up in life. So I thought, okay, why not interview people to, cause that's a great skill set that I have is finding mentors or whatever. And I wound up starting that on the radio show and I, you know, it evolved and, but just, you know, it was not something, it was just something I was doing that I thought would be fun. Right. You didn't have a, you didn't have a business plan for this. You have like an inner, you had an inner whisper that was like, huh, I don't even, I have no idea what I'm doing, but this feels like something that is, could be, that I could try on, see how it feels, how I like it. Nothing's permanent. If you didn't like it, you could have stopped, right? Oh, absolutely. And I was still a tenured professor. So this was just something I was doing on the side. It was my version of Karen time, right? It was was playing in my... And outside of that productive, must be productive, must win, yeah, must, you know, yeah. kind of world, yeah. it was just my little space to go. And I've wound up learning more in these seven years of doing this show yeah. than in, in my entire education, including getting my master's degree. Yeah. Yeah. These things are not calculated. They never are. Talk to anybody who is living in the center of their dreams. And I can guarantee you it was not a calculated effort, period. It never is. So, they, what have, those people are listening to something that is nudging on them. We all have it. We all can hear it. It's soft. It can be loud. It's very persistent. If, you, if you're following that, you're going to find yourself in the center of a dream. And at times it doesn't make sense logically, does it? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense ever. <laughs> you know, when I was running that half marathon, I remember thinking, what the heck am I freaking doing? You know, but 
again, like hindsight, it makes total sense Mm -hmm. in just surrendering to that you don't have to know why it is you're making this move toward this thing. Just trust it for a little while and see what happens. So how do you trust and have faith? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I don't, I, for, for me, um, I, when I first started doing this and that I was hot and heavy in that boyfriend relationship with my art, um, I, 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 at, the, at that time, it felt very much like a new hot and heavy relationship where you are sort of feeling each other out and do they like me as much as I like them and that kind of thing. So there wasn't a lot of concrete confidence in it at first. Um, but over time, I seven years down the line, I, can, I just have that sort of trust that I can make a move, I can make a mistake, some things are going to be a bust. Some things are going to do really well. And I think maybe I just cultivate that and and knowing that I'm going to know what to do no matter what. I'm going to know what to do if this is a really big success. And I'm going to know what to do if this thing bombs. And just trusting that we have that in in ourselves, that we can handle it, that we can broke, that we can be broken and whole, that we can be wise and have no idea what we're talking about at the same time, that we can be trusting the wholeness of who we are and the experiences that come our way. Um, So so it sounds like in the beginning stage when your art was your boyfriend, it was that hot and heavy. It sounds like lust. It was just, and there wasn't, it didn't, mm -hmm. it it wasn't, it was your side hustle, right? At the time. So it wasn't that you had to make a living or was this also the time when you first decided to go solo as an entrepreneur? Was that part of that? Well, yeah, um, when I first started, I made an agreement with my husband because he was really worried as any family member would be, you know, I just basically came to him and said, I think I want to be an artist (laughs) and I want to to change careers. And what's really ironic about this is, you know, I chose social work, which is notorious for low wages. And then I'm, you know, hey, I want to be an artist, which, you know, notoriously even lower wages. Um, so we made an agreement that, okay, you've got like six months. Let's see what can happen in six months. And then we'll reevaluate at the end of the six months. So that if um, we, because I didn't want us to get into a total financial hole, um, and I didn't want to be responsible for that. So it was very much a, a, a teamwork effort. At the end of the six months, we decided, all right, like it's not, it gave him some confidence in me as well that, okay, this is going in a forward direction. Let's give it another six months and evaluate. Um, so in these little small chunks of time, my confidence was growing that, and my audience was growing and I was feeling more and more, I could trust it more and more that this was going to be something that I could do. I did not go full time. I didn't give up my social job completely until I think it was two and a half years in um, once I started doing art. It slowly faded out. Well, you know, and I, I love that because that in, in a lot of ways, a very pragmatic decision. And I think sometimes people think of artists as not being pragmatic or realist, right? But you had, you guys yeah. had boundaries and, and you also honored the space that it wasn't just you. This was also going to involve your husband, right? And so you had yeah. boundaries and, you know, former guest Kristen Neff has taught me that compassionate people have boundaries. Compassionate people have boundaries. Yes. I love that. Yes. I love that. And so that's exactly what you guys did is you had some boundaries, you had structure. It's like, okay, you're going to go off and do this. Don't really know if it's going to pan out or not, but we're going to try it Mm -hmm. for six months. We're going to commit. And I had Mm -hmm. another guest who's a frequent guest who's been on the, he's one of Oprah's people, Peter Walsh. He's the clutter guy. But when I asked him once what the key to his success is, has been in his life, because he's had this very unusual career. um, But he says that he makes a decision 
makes it 100 percent, totally commits and then reevaluates every six months. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I think it's so important. And it goes back to what we were talking about before about recalibrating and and checking in. I'm I'm um it's like one of my favorite things to do every six months. Am I happy? Am I even enjoying this? Do I like this part of my job? Do I not? Um just is really key questions so that we don't find ourselves caught up in something that we don't even want to be doing. I made a mistake, not a mistake, it's one of my best mistakes, I call it, early on in my art career of agreeing to, to sort of teach. And I was traveling and teaching, and I had a lot of friends in this community who were doing the same thing, and they seemed to love it. And so I thought I'd give it a try. And once I made that decision, and Providence moved with me, and I had all these offers to come and teach worldwide, Australia, UK. And a couple months in, I thought to myself, do I even want to be doing this? And the mm-hmm. answer was no, that, that, that teaching and traveling was not my gig. But had I not asked myself that question, I would have been, I would have been really tied into a life um, that wasn't really meant for me. It was meant for some for other people. Um, so, yeah, I think I love that every six months, readjusting, recalibrating. Yeah, and I, I love that whole idea of recalibrating because I'm constantly doing that as I evolve in, in my own life and in so many different ways. I'm recalibrating, I'm tuning in, and what mm-hmm. may, I mean, you can even do that with food, like what you may like today, who knows what I'll like in five years, mm-hmm. right? And you're always kind yeah. of recalibrating. And that's, I think, what makes life so beautiful yes like giving ourselves permission to change our minds and get out of something or to get into something else or yeah absolutely um my friend Mady loves like she crafts she laughs at me constantly because she'll say that I will call her and be really emphatic about something you know and then like two weeks you know Two months later, I've completely reversed my my stance on something, and it it, it yeah, it, it's because just like give yourself permission to to you know have to really think that this is one way of doing it, and a couple months later, see it from a different angle and totally change your mind. It's really fine. Well, I, I know when I go on my website and change stuff or change copy, I, I have this kind of almost anxiety attack, right? And then I have to tell myself and remind myself, Corinne, it's not permanent. You can always go back and change it. It's not mm-hmm. like I'm printing 10,000 brochures mm-hmm. and that will mm-hmm. be it, right? I can always mm-hmm. go and change it. But I, and then I, I get calm when I do that. But there is that idea of permanence and having to have it be perfect, mm-hmm. you know, that gets stuck. It's so ingrained in my neural pathways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's something tied to like the element of hopefulness with that. If you know that, if you sort of give yourself permission to that nothing is permanent, then you just, then everything is possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just are walking around in the world. If nothing is permanent, everything is possible. There's just, it's a really hopeful way of, of, of living and thinking. And so it sounds like with this trust and faith, it's something that's grown and now you have a whole body of evidence and in stuff. And you've also, do you think that the work that you do and the artwork that you do and the messages that you're surrounded so much by your artwork also contribute to you being more grounded and being willing to trust? You know, I think of my paintings as, um, they're really relevant to whatever it is I'm going through. They're, mm-hmm. they're sort of like journal pages, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I trust that I, I trust, I have really clear beliefs that everything, everything that we are experiencing in our lives must be expressed. It has to be expressed, whether that's through conversation writing, making art, physical activity, um, self-development. It has to be expressed. Otherwise, it just becomes disease inside of our bodies. It becomes toxic. 
Um, and so I, I trust that process um, fully, and it's what allows me to um, keep creating art that, is, that feels really personal to me and putting it out in the world because I trust that I'm not alone in my own experiences and that other people are going to respond and be with me in whatever it is that is um, being expressed. I trust that wholeheartedly, that full circle, that whatever it is that I'm expressing in a painting, someone is going to run into that painting in a retail store, have a moment of pause, and it's whatever it is that's happening for them, perhaps it's expressed for them, and the certain circle is closed. You know, my healing becomes a part of their healing. They become a part of my story. I become a part of their story. I really trust that process, um, and it's what keeps me doing what I'm doing. Well, to add a personal note to that, and um, is that a few years ago, one of my clients sent me a card. And they said that the re they wanted to thank me for the work that we were doing. But when they saw this card, it resonated with the work that my client and I were doing. Mm. And, that, and, and I loved your card so much. And then the next week, another client sent me the exact same card. Mm. So then I went. I love that. Who is this who person? Who, who is he? <laughs> so I had to go and like find this these cards because I wanted to buy them all out and I bought them and then what's happened is that I've you know clients have sent me your artwork and clients who didn't even know I've home decor from you now I have a whole office that you know I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get a little concerned because it's looking like a shrine but I resonate with your work because it's such a reflection of the work I do with my clients right embracing vulnerability cultivating courage um you know telling our stories yes. expressing our stories yeah, embracing yeah, change, yeah. right? All that stuff is so, so important. Yeah. And I know that um, because of the work that I do all day long, whether it's with the show or with my clients or coaching, you know, the kids that I coach, I'm always trying to teach the message that it's okay to go through struggle, right? It's okay mm -hmm. to have difficulties. And um, so I don't make struggle mean I used to a long time ago. I used to make struggle mean this isn't the right fit. But, yeah. But now I use it as a sometimes way of, it, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, sometimes the struggle means you're, you're on to something. Mm -hmm. You're on to something like it, it, you should feel uncomfortable raising those prices. You should feel uncomfortable stepping into a dream. You should feel uncomfortable. You should be scared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It should be, it should be a struggle. I, I use it as, um, it is hard though to discern. Is this a struggle that, it's a struggle that I should be paying attention to because I'm just afraid and have a little bit of fear around it, or is it a struggle that um, I that's really necessary or is a warning sign to sort of back away from? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you explained that too with with the teaching, right? You had that struggle, and you really what it does is the struggle is an opportunity to check in and to tune into what is going on mm -hmm. inside. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I also go back to the nothing is permanent thing. So using the teaching example of I was really afraid to do it, shaking in my shoes, afraid, did it, um, enjoyed it, did it again, enjoyed it, did it a few times. And then once I got over the fear of I could totally do this, then the next question was, do I want to be doing this? Um, and recalibrating and making a change. But even that was a good yeah, I'm with, yeah. So have a struggle. Decide like if it's something you want to try, check in how that feels, and then decide do you even want to be? Is it something you want to do, or just to do? Um, and add to your fearless tool box. You know what I mean? Yeah. An exercise in being fearless. <laughs> well, and I think it's great how you said you got over your fear, right? You didn't let the yeah, fear yeah. stop you. You were like, well, I don't know. And you struggled with it. You went and did it a few times. You got over the fear. Then you can make a decision from really what's called a clean place. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. is this something that I want to do? Or is it something that I don't want to do? Does this fit into the vision that I have for my life? Or does it not? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But And then you... You totally, and you also, by doing the things that we're afraid of, you start to trust that you can do anything, and it's a matter of do you want to do this, or do you want to do, to do anything, 
Um, and I think it takes doing the things that we never thought we could do um, before we can really decide and answer those questions of, do I even want to do this? I would have never chosen art as something I wanted to do <laughs> in the beginning. Because <laughs> I had all those same misconceptions that everybody else, you know, that the rest of the society has. It's too hard. Artists are depressed, sad, and they are they're starving artists. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but getting over the fear of even, can I even make a painting? Can I make art? Am I even going to do this? Um, and then deciding, oh my gosh, I love this. This is really fun. I love the business side of this too. Or it's harder. Or as um, scary as I thought it would be. And when you, when you had those, those gremlin stories running through your head, what did you do to not attach yourself to them? Mm. I put them out there. In the, in the, in the the early stages of, I think putting them out there, like, gosh, I'm, I, Corinne, I have the same imposter syndrome thing and I wrote a post about it. I think it was 2007 or so, where I felt like such a fraud. Like, oh my gosh, I'm making art. I've barely, I've barely been doing this a year, and you know, I'm, I'm getting a people are buying my work. And I felt like such a, like I duped everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I wrote a blog post about that. I expressed it. I think those gremlins have to be expressed in some form or another, if that's a journal, if it's writing, but most importantly with somebody that you trust, hopefully with somebody who has had a similar experience and can really tell you, you know what, that's par for the course. Mm-hmm. You're right, absolutely. Yes, you're going to have these doubts, you're going to have these fears. This is what my story looked like when, when something similar happened and really reaching out to people who are a little ahead of you. Um, has been huge for me. My community piece has been huge. And and I think that's so important what you said because everybody, and I really, no matter, there's not a person, and I've had people on all different levels of, you know, society success, but everybody goes through that imposter syndrome, whether it's their book is number one on the New York Times bestseller or, you know, mm-hmm. they've made it in this other area or they're mm-hmm. making wads of money on the speaking circuit, whatever it may be right? They Mm -hmm. go through this internal imposter syndrome, but what you're talking about that reaching out, right? With somebody who's earned the right to hear your story, who's, who, Mm -hmm. who can kind of say, okay, I see that you see this, but I don't see that for you. Or Mm -hmm. we all have this, that's our journey. And that's what my intention Mm -hmm. of the show is, is to say, here's the windows of possibility, right? We may think that, you know, it's been this easy ride for Kelly Ray Roberts, but she too has had her own struggles and her own uncertainty. Yeah, I mean, we're all just human beings. We're all making it up as we go along. We all have no idea what we're doing. You know, I I think of that often. Of I still have to. I I'm we really we're just sort of figuring it out as we go along. But the thing that is is holding all the glue together goes back to that thing that is calling us. That is our like bright star. That is our golden nugget. It's eye on the prize, sort of like following that really soul-spirited, intentional thing that's always ahead of you and in front of you. As long as you're, everything that you're doing and figuring out is aligned with that thing, you'll figure it out as you go. Um, and that's fine. And that's, totally, and that's okay. I just, I, I, yeah, we're all just mistake-making but you know Kelly I just think that it gives so much I mean I think about how my life used to be right I was very driven very like precise I knew that I need to go to graduate school and I need to get this done and then I I need to get tenured and then I knew that once I was tenured I could go I had to work this many years to retire this kind of income right it was very oh my gosh and I was, I was the same way. Yes. Yeah, I felt success meant falling in line. Mm-hmm. I thought it meant going, graduating from high school, going to college, knowing what you're going to be when you grow up, 
graduate, get a job, make a paycheck, achieve, 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 achieve. And now my, my measure of success is, am I being brave with my life? Am I being brave with my choices? Am I following that thing, that nugget of what's calling me forward? Am I up against my edges? Am I really uncomfortable, but, but, but taking a step anyway in that direction? Um, but I, I'm still with you. I, I, it took me a really long, long time to, to throw out that old version of that measuring stick. Do this and do this and do this. It just doesn't happen that way. And I don't know if this happened for you, but I found that it wasn't like, you know, I could consciously say, okay, that's not how I'm not going to measure success anymore. But there was so much programming, right? I feel like it's like my iMac that has still the the programming from, you know, the remember the red colored shells and the purple colored shells of 99. Um, But there's old programming that sometimes conflicts and makes my computer crash. And Mm -hmm. that's that's my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's my brain. And then one day I noticed oh my gosh, I, I don't, I don't believe in that so much. Like I'm okay with giving myself the Saturday to hang out or play or to watch TV mm-hmm. even that it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. It's not, I'm not a bad person for not right. being productive. Right. And I also found that didn't you find this happening in your life when you started to think new, you're literally creating new highways in your brain mm-hmm. with new exits. And so once I started into this creative life and thinking things from a more innovative way, creative way, I felt my whole life change because I could, my thought process changed. I just began to see things where I didn't see them before. And yeah, like nothing was black and white and more gray than ever and being comfortable. And for me, I'm such a black and white person living with the gray <laughs> has been giant exercise in this whole this whole these last seven years where nothing is permanent I don't know if I'm going to be able to sustain this kind of success this level of success commercially um you know and just being really comfortable with that all that gray that that's where the juice and the lessons and the self-development and you know that play that's where the playground is in which to practice your values and you know all that stuff it lives in the gray it's not black and white you know I use that all the time with my clients about you know we because it's kind of black and white we live in and I I think it's easier to live black and white I mean I I, oh my god it's so much easier it's it's concrete right that's a bad person that's a good person and the stuff in between that means you have to be awake you have to be alive alert awake and aware Mm -hmm. and that takes energy and focus a lot right amen yeah. And that's where, that's where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it feels so good to be in there. And I, but I think, don't you think that you have to, this is where to circle back to the beginning of the interview where you need to be able to create some space to refuel that energy so mm-hmm. that you can be awake, alive, alert, and aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes a lot of practice being in that gray space, right? Yes. So that and you're right like it's, it's especially at first it takes so much practice mm-hmm. that we have to give ourselves a ton of rest and downtime recalibration time thinking time um and that actually takes a lot of work for me as well mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like everything is a practice yeah practice resting practice playing practice courage every day practicing those tiny small steps so I want to go into the vulnerability piece about, you know, putting your work out there. And because, yeah. I, you know, so often people are like, oh, Kelly Ray, she's just got it made. She she can mm-hmm. put out a piece. It's going to sell. Well, she now, right? Or Corinne, she can get any guest on her show. But there is this vulnerability of putting your work out there. Yeah, that never ends. It's not any easier for me to put a piece out into the world now than it was seven years ago. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'd almost say it's harder because the exposure is bigger. Mm-hmm. You're putting it out more and more. I just recently thought, I was thinking about this recently because I was thinking back to my 31-year-old 
herself who was writing her book, the book, you know, Taking Flight. And she was really, her, she had no audience. She had no exposure. She had no gift line. She had no, you know, she was not a big deal. <laughs> and she was just putting her heart out into the world inside of this book. And I often think about getting back to her um, because she was so vulnerable and she was so willing to share. Um, and I think seven years in, I definitely have had moments in struggle with being too cautious, really being a little bit too boundaried um, with my vulnerability because of that exposure and open, you know, you're, you're, you're wide open to critiques and mm -hmm. the world of people who are, people have opinions and um, yeah, the more, the more I can get back to the version of myself that is less cautious and more fearless, better. I sort of think of it as I'm driving in the car and I want my current 38-year-old full-functioning adult self in the driving wheel when it comes to managing my business, but I want the eight-year-old who's in the back seat, that girl, I want her in the driving seat when it comes to making March and putting it out in the world. I want her fearlessness and her willingness and I want that person who's not cautious and worried about the numbers and who's gonna care you know like I want so I think I, I have a little visual picture in my brain when I'm making art she's in the driving wheel and when I'm posting it online she's definitely in the driving wheel and then when I'm managing the critiques that come my way and the business piece of what I do, I have my like full adult self and the driving wheel taking over and managing. Um, but that's how I think of it. If I, I yeah. That is great because there we have, we have all these different parts of ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And being able to tap so often we tap into our inner child when we feel out of control. Right. right. But when, but for you to tap into your inner child, when it's a place of you want to play and you want to, you want to open your heart mm -hmm. and be trusting mm -hmm. and loving and being wholehearted mm -hmm. and living that and putting it in your art, mm -hmm. right. Willing to be vulnerable. And that's where you want to tap into because that's your greatest strength. And then to go and tap into, you know, the wise woman that you are now for your mm -hmm. business yeah. and also to protect yourself of, okay, you know, you don't have to win over the haters, right. If they're going to hate you, right. that's okay. Right, right. Because the self that I am now is going to know what to do. She's mm -hmm. going to protect that eight-year-old girl who's making all this cool art and putting her heart out into the world. She's going to know what to do. Um, so there have been times when, you know, my inner child is managing the business and it's a disaster. You know, <laughs> she's responding. She's, you know, if there's, a, if there's a hateful comment on Facebook, she's like jumping on it and responding. And then my... You know, I have to like my my adult version is <laughs> quickly taking over and deleting whatever it is that she just said. <laughs> um, so I think it's important to recognize, like you're right, like there are we have these different versions. We wear these different hats, and it could be gold if we let different parts of ourselves come into drive the car and really play the time. Because that goes back into owning our story, like owning that little girl in us that and what are the strengths of that little girl and how can we use that part for part yeah. of our life and owning our story of, okay, I'm a 30 year old, eight year old woman who has, you know, a good business sense. And how can I use that as well in this part of my life? Because mm -hmm. there are, I mean, just even my intro, right? You're a hospitarian, you're an artist, you're an author, you're a businesswoman, you're a wife, you're a mother, you're a friend, right? There's so many mm -hmm. different things that you are. We have all these different parts you are the connection with all of those parts. Yeah. I'm also a really sort of gritty, you know, girl who grew up in rural North Florida, the South of the South, tomboy, who was a really sensitive child, <laughs> like mm -hmm. bringing her in reintegration. Um, I have a friend who recently told me midlife is about reintegration. 
and reintegrating those pieces of ourselves from of who we were when we were kids and integrating those pieces into these fully functioning adult selves that we are um, and bringing, I sort of think of it as grit and grace, the grit of who of all that we were when we were kids mixed with the grace of who we've become and who we're becoming um, and to integrate those two things. Oh, that's beautiful. So Kelly, I hate to wrap up with you, but our time has come. And before we go, I'd mm-hmm. like to present a couple of takeaways that you have for the listeners to practice courage or face their fears, um, you know, in their lives. What are your couple takeaways that you have? Mm. My takeaways would be to listen in, tune in, start journaling, what is calling you, what's nudging, what's showing up. What won't stop pestering you in your head and in your brain when you're lying down at, you know, at night to go to sleep? What's still chiming in there that may or may not have anything to do with what you're doing now? You really pay close attention to that. Um, and just start thinking of like, what can I, what are some small moves that I can make in that direction? Ooh, small moves. I love that. And what's the thing that you never thought you could do? Name it. Do it. Go and do it. Whether that's like eating organic food or <laughs> like right now, um, for an, I'm doing something I never thought I could do, which is to be um, to completely change and rewire my way of eating mm-hmm. um, and cooking. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds really it sounds really even right now I have a gremlin about even saying it because it seems like such a big deal to me it's so huge but I know it's like absolutely not a big deal for other people they have mm-hmm. that thing down <laughs> um, but just getting really honest about oh my gosh I'm embarking on this whole new way this whole this huge lifestyle change which is what it is well you know um, and that's what's calling me at the moment. I'm going to pay attention to that. I'm going to, I'm reading books. I've, I've got, I have a health coach for the first time in my whole life. I have like some physical activity trainers that are helping me for the first time in my life. I'm just really tuning into this specific call and giving it some attention for the next six months. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So I would say like those things, like what's nagging at you and to take the pitch and to take some action. Well, and I think that it'll open up your whole life. It does because I have never, I didn't know how to cook. I was very proud that for 40 years I didn't know how to cook. And um, (laughs) I had a client once say to me, oh, I feel so sorry for you because your mom didn't know how to cook. And I'm like, no, my mom was an amazing cook or is an amazing cook. (laughs) But I had to be perfect in so many areas of my life that I just decided that I wasn't going to even try that because I was tapped out on the perfection in so many other areas. I couldn't go and compete. Oh, yeah. But learning how to cook this year. Yeah. But learning how to cook this year has been life changing. You know, I I was telling my girlfriend yesterday, I go, I look at cooking as a way to nurture myself. Oh, see, this is the, this, I'm so glad I said that because now I'm getting, I'm getting some hope. Thanks for filling my well. Yes. Good. And and this is from a woman that would never touch raw chicken before, right? My father-in-law's mouth still yes, can't believe it. That's me. That's me, Corinne. I, I I can't bring myself to put a piece of raw chicken into the oven. I cannot do it. I have not done it ever. Um, so you're giving me lots of hope that it's coming. I can do it. <laughs> well, Kelly Ray, thank you so much. It's been fun talking with you, and thank you for sharing your journey with my listeners. Thank you so much for having me, Corinne. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you, so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, 
or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.